morning we want to take a look at what God has to say about this. As we give reverence to the reading of God's Word, I want us to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, and if you would please stand with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. Uh, there are some other verses that we'll look to later in the same chapter. But here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the children of Israel are now entering into the promised land. And God has given Moses some instructions on to give to the children as they go into the land. And uh, he has some instructions for the children of Israel in remembering the Lord. In fact, I said we look at verse number 6 and 7. Let's back up and begin with verse number 4 where he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Verse number 8. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gate. Father, bless the reading of your scripture. Bless our time together in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. As I stated earlier, <clears throat> godly fathers are hard to find today, as you can see in the notes that I gave to you. They're more precious than the Hope Diamond. By the way, my wife and I had an opportunity to look at the Hope Diamond when we were visiting Smithsonian. Very beautiful diamond, very precious. And that's exactly what God wants to do with our lives. Uh, he wants to chisel it away until he brings it to a place of beautiful perfection. But uh, it takes time. Diamonds are brought about over a time through pressure. And as a result of that pressure, uh, God brings out something beautiful. And there's lots of pressure. There's lots of problems that come to a home, come to a marriage, come to the responsibility of Father. But those that bear under the load, bear under the pressure, they come out like diamonds. And they become more precious as fine gold. But we find fewer and fewer men that are willing to go under that load. And they run from the responsibility. So what <clears throat> have we reaped from that? Well, we have men today who are fathers that refer to themselves as drag queens and transvestites that are members of the, uh, what they refer to as the GLGBTQ community. We have fathers that one refers to himself as the husband, the other father refers to himself as the wife, and they are adopting children. We have a society that accepts, accepts that. And as a result of the same-sex marriage, we find that there's an infiltration and a movement that is taking over our country and having a tremendous influence upon our children and upon their education. 
as they bring in uh, their doctrine into our public schools to the point to where now in the state of Michigan, the Attorney General is requesting that all public schools uh, not ha only have a homecoming queen, but a homecoming drag queen. This is where we're at today. We have fathers that will not take responsibility of the home. They're deserters. Uh, they will not pay child support to the point to where the law, they have legislated law uh, to where they take their license. They <clears throat> take their driver's license, their contractor's license. They make life difficult, but somehow they seem to work around that. They just simply abandoned it, and they believe that it should be the responsibility of the state or that single-parent mother to take care of those children. And so <clears throat> we have fathers that, that have no morals, no understanding. They bring children into the world by different mothers. And there are multiple uh, children and siblings in the home that have uh, the last name of a different father or some they don't even know what their father's last name is. They don't even know their father and there are fathers that don't even know they have children out there. And this is the world that we're living in. But God help us to realize that we can see revival. God is greater than he that is in the world. And we hear it often said that we're on the road of no return, I believe, as far as, as the wickedness of this world, yes, because iniquity will abound. But God can still bring revival where there is a lighthouse. And he can stir up that community. We may not be able to reach the entire nation, but we can reach our community. But we must do it one home at a time. Abraham Lincoln said, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rocks the nation. We have an interesting passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 18. Abraham is referred to as the father of all nations. He is also the referred to as the father of faith. And God... <clears throat> said concerning Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 19, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Interesting here, I've preached just from that one passage how Abraham was a man that had a relationship with God. It is so important that our children know that their father has a relationship with his heavenly father. This is something that is peaceful and wonderful about that because if he's having the right relationship with his heavenly, loving heavenly father, then the children and the the mother of those children know that uh, they're going to have a wonderful relationship because his heavenly father, for which he's allowing to lead him, will lead him in the right way to be a loving father unto the children and a loving husband unto his wife. We also find that Abraham was 
not only a man that was being led of the Lord, but he was a man that was not passive in the way that he led within his home. He was not mealy-mouthed. He was not spineless. He didn't have a yellow streak running down his back. He was like Joshua of old. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He took the initiative, and he led his family. I believe today that there are mothers, there are wives out there that would just, they desire, they dream of the day that their husband, the father of their children, would stand up and be a man for God. Today we have very few that are willing to take on that responsibility. It takes a real man to be a man of God. And he was very, very loving, very caring, but he was not passive in his leading. He was a man that led his family the right way because it wasn't the kind of leadership where you do as I say, not as I do. But he said, you do as I do. And what he was doing was pleasing unto the Lord. The Bible says that he led his family after him. And then we find that he was a man that kept the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. I want you to take your Bibles and go back over to Genesis chapter 6. If we had time, we would read down through the whole passage here because it's an interesting passage. But when we come to the end of Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read in verse number 24, So the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. I want you to notice in verse number 24, for our good always. And then notice in verse number 25, and it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments. Before the Lord our God, as he hath commanded us. See, the righteousness of God needs to be our righteousness. It needs to be the way we live our lives. As for me and my house, this is the way we're going to live. God's righteousness is going to become our righteousness. We're going to live according to God's righteousness because we want the goodness of God upon us. And if the goodness of God is going to be upon us, then we need to make sure that his principles, his judgments, his statutes, uh, his justice becomes our justice and our judgment. And then it becomes our good and our blessing that results when we make God's principles our principles. When we think about this, we find that there are several imperatives that a father must consider if he is to follow in the pathway of Abraham. If he is to follow in the pathway where he can say with the children of Israel, as it is said in verse number 24, that uh, we will follow the commandments of the Lord, we will do all these statues, we will fear the Lord our God, for our good always. We will make sure that as we reverence God and as we follow God, 
that we will take those principles of righteousness and we'll make them our principles of righteousness. As a, re as a result of doing this, we find that <clears throat> there are many blessings, but they must become imperatives within our lives. As the Father, we must demonstrate God's love through the love that we have, that he has given to us in respecting those in our household. The greatest gift that we can ever give to our children is to love the mother that brought them into this world. But <clears throat> in many homes, we have a kind of an interesting conundrum when we think of a conundrum, we think of something that is perplexed and confusing because we have so-called Christian homes where uh, the marriage didn't work out and the children are sharing from one home to another home with step-siblings and stepfather and stepmother. Uh, but both parties are Christians. Uh, <clears throat> Your stepmother loves the Lord, and she goes to church with us. And then uh, when you spend uh, the weekdays with uh, your mother, well, your stepfather and your mother, they go to church. But I hate her guts. She's a wicked woman. Uh, she is the reason why our marriage split up. And the children, they hear these stories. I don't want her name mentioned in this household. I know that you spend the weekdays with her, but don't bring her name into this household. Now, children are being brought up in that kind of conundrum, and that kind of confusion, and yet, at the same time, they're being told, you honor your parents. Husbands are told to love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. This is not a suggestion. It's a commandment from the Lord. But we find one of the leading causes of problems in the home with children growing up that despise God, despise the things of God, and to become children of wrath is because the fathers have provoked them to that place. God says, you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We find that in Ephesians chapter 6. As we read through verses 1 through 4, what is interesting as we read this passage of Scripture, we find that there are many homes that are called Christian homes where the fathers are abusive. The fathers <clears throat> are not uh, godly toward the children's mothers. And there's conflict. And yet the children are commanded of the Lord to confess and to acknowledge uh, that uh, Jesus is their Savior and that they love the Lord and they're going to obey the Lord and keep His commandments and one of the commandments of the Lord, and it's found throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, is to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. They're commanded to honor their father, to honor their mother. We are told that this is 
the first commandment with promise. In other words, it's the first commandment that God promised our children that would honor their father and mother, that things would go well with them, that they would live long lives upon this old earth. And yet they're being brought up in a home where mother and dad uh, bite and devour one another, constantly do their best to turn the hearts of their children against each other. And yet the children are told to honor their parents, both mom and dad, for this will go well with thee, that thou mayest live long upon the face of the earth. So the father, you can see the conundrum that's going on. The father is to honor his mother and father, but he's not teaching his children to honor their mother or maybe to honor the grandparents. And so we find that children have no respect for authority because the authority broke down in the home because of the lack of honor within the leadership within the home. There are parents that fall out with their in-laws and they speak evil of the children's grandparents and they try their best to turn the hearts of the children against their grandparents for whatever reason. Their father and mother as well. And I'm sure there's a lot of that guilt that goes on within our church family, the violation of God's word. I've always, I have my son that comes from a broken marriage, and whatever you do, son, always honor their mother. I don't care how you feel about what has happened. You always honor her in front of those children. You never speak evil of her. You never speak evil of your in-laws because those in-laws are their grandparents and God expects those children to honor and respect those grandparents. You need to understand if you do that, you're in conflict with God's word. And if you're violating God's word, then things will not go well with you. I come and was raised in a dysfunctional home where I was told not to have anything to do with my grandparents. And I'd sneak around my father's back and go visit them because I loved my grandparents. And it was only by the grace of God that I didn't take up an offense with my parents toward uh, the various in-laws within my family. But one thing that I made sure of growing up Regardless what issues I have with my in-laws or with anyone in my family, I don't want to share those issues with my children. I want my children to understand that God has a higher level of respect. And I want to make that my righteousness. I want to make that my justice and my judgment. Because it is the first commandment with promise. We have homes today where it's so dysfunctional, filled with so much violence, and then we wonder why the children have no respect for law enforcement, why they have no respect for authority, why they have no respect for society, why they have no respect for human life. Our country's in a mess because we've moved away from God's Word. Divorce is at 60% in climbing. 
And it's all based, much of it is on selfishness. And so this is the world that our children are being raised up in. It's very important that we understand that we have this awesome responsibility to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And there's where it begins. Teaching them to respect and honor authority and to honor and respect parents and grandparents. Secondly, as a father, I must learn to communicate with my children. This is something that needs to be a part of our righteousness, to spend time with our children, to talk with our children. We find over in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Fathers need to spend time with their children. They need to sit down with their children. They need to open up the Bible with their children. They need to learn to ask questions with their children, allow their children to ask questions, take time with their children. God commands you to do this. How sad it is to realize that it is estimated that children, and there was a survey that was done among children, more than 500 questions they found that children ask their parents by the time they're 15 years of age. It is also estimated that that parents on average spend less than seven and a half minutes a week talking with their children. Yet the public school has them all day long. And what time the public schools doesn't have them, then uh, the uh, online uh, media and all of the social networks and everything else and their friends that they've never met uh, that they are now socializing with somewhere in another part of the world are now connecting with them. And parents are totally oblivious. They just don't have time for their children. How tragic to think that the average parent only spends seven and a half minutes a week talking with their children. We wonder why our nation is going to hell. Word of God makes it very clear that it is important that we realize the need to spend time with our family, to have family devotions, to stop what we're doing, to pull our family together. And God doesn't put that responsibility on the mother. He puts it on the father. Do you pray as a family together? Do you have family devotions Dad, do you open up your Bible and have your wife and children all sit around the dinner table and read Scripture to them? Are these things that go on at a regular time in the home, they know, well, just before dinner or just right after dinner, we're going to have this family devotion. And so we turn off the television set. We turn off the telephones. We make sure that there are no distractions and we sit around the table or the living room 
we have a time of family devotions, and then we get on our knees and we pray. Isn't that what we did, Pamela, when we were growing up? I remember our son Matthew was having problems in the fourth grade with reading. And I said, well, we'll fix that. We'll just give him more of a larger portion of the scripture to read during our family devotions. And the rest of the family had to suffer through it. But uh, next time we had a teacher's meeting with that one particular teacher, he said, I don't know what you're doing, but his reading has drastically improved. What direction do you want your children to go in? To encourage our children. Yeah, life goes by too quickly. Here I'm going to be celebrating my 74th birthday. I've got great-grandchildren. It seems like only yesterday that my daughter Pamela was in my arms as a little infant child. And I think back at the times that I could have spent more quality time with my family. And I say, if only, if only, if only. But we don't have if only. We need to take the time that we have right now and forget about the past, pressing forward unto the future, and take advantage of the time that we have now. You say, well, <clears throat> my child's grown. Well, I mean, you need to work on renewing a relationship with that son or with that daughter. Get alone with them. Spend some time saying, hey, could we just open up the Bible and study the Word of God once again together and, and pray together once again or for the first time? If only. Forget about if only. You see, as fathers, I must seek opportunity to give my child a feeling of belonging. You don't have that opportunity while they're growing up. There are other siblings in the home. You need to make sure that you're no respecter of persons. It's very important that we make sure that all the children share in the responsibilities, that one is not given more responsibility than another. Uh, we need to make sure that birthday gifts, there's no favoritism shown, uh, that uh, we make sure with our grandchildren that we give a certain amount of money. They always get the same amount. Sometimes I want to give them. And you know, every now and then we find ourselves showing a little favoritism. My wife said, no, you're not giving her more money than you gave your other granddaughter. <laughs> I think of Brother Jim St. Pierre. He told me some years ago, he said, my grandma told me, she said, I want you to keep this just between us. I don't want you sharing it with the rest of the your brothers and sisters, but you're my favorite. If, if, she said, if you promise that you'll not share this with them, I want to share something with you. And he said, what is it? And he, she said, well, I just want you to know if you promise. I promise, Grandma. Well, I just want you to know that you're my favorite. At her funeral, they were all given their testimony how Grandma was their favorite. No, she said that I was her favorite. No, she said I was their favorite. They all need to be your favorite. You see, the Word of God says in Genesis 37, verse number 3, when we show partiality, it can cause the other siblings to hate the one that we show partiality to. In Genesis 37, verse number 3, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, 
So he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peacefully unto him. You see, that's the problem it creates in the home. We need to make sure that we as parents do not allow that to happen. As the father, I will express words. I must express words of appreciation and praise. We enjoy when people express love and appreciation toward us. Our children are starving for affection. They're starving for appreciation. They want to hear words of commendation and words of encouragement. Proverbs 4 verse number 3 declares, For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the side of thy mother. He said, I, I knew that my dad loved me. In the sight of my mother, I could see that I was tender and I was precious and I was beloved. Do your children know that you appreciate them? Do your children know that you truly love them? Do you sincerely praise your children? I'm not talking about uh, flattery. I'm not talking about something that is false. But when, when your children do something uh, that is praiseworthy, do you remember to praise them, to thank them for what they're doing? And as we move on, we find that as, as the father, I must spend more time together with my children. We uh, are all familiar of how time is bleeding. We're told over in Genesis or not in Genesis, but Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 16, that we need to redeem the time for the days are evil. As I shared with you earlier, most families spend and fathers spend less than seven and a half minutes a week with their children. I don't know if you know anything about uh, Noah Webster, but he was close associates with Arthur Gordon Webster. And Arthur Gordon tells an interesting experience from his youth. He says, when I was around 13 and my brother was 10, my father promised us that he would take us to the circus. But at lunchtime, there was a phone call that came to my father. Some urgent business required that his attention be brought downtown. My brother and I braced ourselves for the disappointment. Then we heard him say, no, I won't be down. It will have to wait. When he came back to the table, mother smiled and mother said, the circus keeps coming back, you know that. He said, I know. But children don't. Childhood don't. Their childhood only comes around once. We need to spend opportunity with them. We make promises and we don't keep their promise, keep those promises, and it becomes a real disappointment to them. As we come to a close, we find in Proverbs 17 and verse number 22 that a father must be joyful before his children. 
We read in Proverbs 17, verse number 22, A cheerful heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. You see, a father's cheerfulness and a father's happiness and what he displays in front of his children and around his children have a strong influence on the spiritual condition of those children. So many times we get weighted down with all the pressures and all the problems that uh, life throws at us and we bring those frustrations and we bring that cloud of darkness into our home and we allow those problems to bring the cloud of depression and anxiety over us and our children are constantly bearing the load of our anxieties and our frustrations and our gripes and our complaints and how miserable things are in life and how bad things are at work and how difficult things are at home and and they're just constantly hearing the complaining and the griping and it affects their mother and she's constantly griping and complaining. And we wonder why our children are filled with depression and anxiety and why it's suicide is so high in the, uh, in the Western world. Poor people are some of the happiest people in the world because they don't worry about what they don't have to lose. But here in America, we've been so spoiled and we're so concerned about what we have and those things and those material things and the business world and, and the finances and everything become more important to us than our children. We allow those things to drag us down the debt and all the anxiety that comes with it and the conflicts that we have with, the, <clears throat> with our marriage. And, and it all comes into the home and it affects our children. They need, to, they need to see and hear the joy of the Lord. We need to be joyful constantly in the presence of our children. Psalms 30 and verse number 12 says, Tell the end of my glory, may I sing praises to thee, and not be silent, O Lord my God. I will give thanks unto thee forever. We read in Psalm 42 and verse number Five, why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. We find an interesting story in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 10. The children of Israel <clears throat> were told to be joyful in the Lord, for the joy of the Lord is their strength. Why were they told that? Because the children of Israel were filled with sorrow. Nehemiah said in verse number 10, Go your way and eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be you sorry for the joy of the Lord is our strength. You see, they were cast down. They were filled with sorrow. They were filled with discouragement. They were crying and they were weeping. Because the old men saw what was accomplished. They saw the walls go up. They saw the temple built. But they remembered the glory of Solomon's temple. 46,000 or 43,000 of them all came together. And they were there to honor God because they had found the word of the God. The word of God. The laws of Moses. 
And so Nehemiah the governor handed the book over to Ezra the priest and he was to read the word of God. And as they were standing there at that second temple called Zerubbabel's temple, there were people weeping and crying because of what they remembered from the past. They weren't praising God because they found the word of God and they were able to come back from bondage and rebuild the temple. They were filled with discouragement. The young men were rejoicing, but the old men were weeping and crying. We get another story of that over in Haggai, how they were rebuked for such an attitude. We come to the house of the Lord. We are filled with sorrows and our children see us as we're supposedly supposed to be praising God and singing. And we're just sitting there with a sorry look on our face while the children are singing. And the young people are praising God and the older people are sitting there with discouragement. I've surveyed the audience and I've watched. And it's so sad to see how so few people really get involved in our worship service. And there are some singing with all their heart and lifting up their voices. And there are others that are just sitting there and others that are fumbling around playing with their iPhones. Not paying any attention. And they brought their problems into the church and there's no joy of the Lord. And we carry that from church house to home. We live daily when God has commanded us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I remember as a child growing up, my, my in-laws on my mother's side were quite poor. We lived in Kansas City, Kansas, and there was one side of Kansas City that was called Overland Park, and I had cousins on my, mom, on my dad's side and family there that had good jobs that lived over there, that lived in nice homes. But on my mother's side, they lived down in a place called Rosedale, and there was a little old holler there. They called it, it was called a holler. It was really a hollow, a little old valley there. <clears throat> and that's where just about all my relatives lived, and they were all dirt poor. And I love being around those people because they had more. They had happiness. They had the joy of the Lord. I remember my Uncle Emmett, my Aunt Rosie, my Aunt Rosie, she was illiterate. She could not read, and she started going to church, and she got salvation. She knew she got saved, genuinely got saved. And she started praying and saying, Lord, if you'll help me to learn how to read the Bible, I'll read it every day. And that was the testimony she shared. And she said, over time, I started trying my best to read that Bible, and I pick up a few words, and finally I got where I could read my Bible. And she was constantly praising the Lord. They had an outhouse for a toilet. They used an old wood stove to cook their food on. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have the kind of convenience that we had. But that was a happy home. And I remember as a child, I enjoyed being at that place, being around my Aunt Rosie, hearing her constantly sing and praise the Lord. To your children. When they go to your house, where they live, where they're growing up, do they go to a home that's a happy home? The joy of the Lord is my strength. I want to share quickly with you three thoughts and then we'll close this. Well, there should be joy through the Lord. 
as we get into his word and we dig out those promises of hope. Jesus said in John 16 and verse number 22, And you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no man will take from you or taken from you. You see, this world's got a lot of problems with it, and there's a lot of darkness, but we have hope. We have a glorious hope. We have a beautiful future. We have the expectation of knowing one day we're going to be delivered out of the darkness of this world. It ought to bring some rejoicing into our hearts as we praise God as we go through this valley knowing that it's not going to be long and we're going to reach the other side and it's going to be beautiful. I think of uh, Dr. Dennis Brown when he was dying and at 84 years old out there on the old evangelistic trail going from church house to house preaching the word of God and finally he had a major heart attack just outside of Denver, Colorado. And so his grandson, Denny Fountain, went up to visit his grandpa. And there he was on his dying bed. And he says, Denny, it's better than anything I've ever said. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And then he just passed away. We need to live with the expectation of knowing that what God has promised us is much more beautiful than we could ever imagine. Joy in every blessing and in every trial, that should be our attitude. We are told in Thessalonians chapter 4, Thessalonians 1, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Bible says rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say Rejoice. When problems come our way, rather than complaining, why not just say, well, praise God. He's going to get us through this. I don't want your children to get discouraged. I just lost a job, but God's got a better job for me. He's going to take care of us. He made a promise the righteous would never beg for food. The righteous will be made fat. So why don't we just have a praise for the Lord right now and thank Jesus for all the goodness he's brought into our lives because God's going to take care of us. See, that's what our children need to hear in times of despair. And that's what God has commanded us to do. God knows what we're going through, and God will keep us. And joy will keep you from sickness and stress, by the way. Again, in verse number 722 of Proverbs 17, a merry heart doeth good like medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. I remember reading years ago as a young Christian in Bible college, a book entitled None of These Diseases. It told the story about all the stress and anxiety that's in people's lives and the heart uh, disease and the high blood pressure and the strokes, the ulcers and and all of those things that simply come because we do not rejoice in the Lord. We allow the stress and the anxiety and all the problems of this life to destroy our health. And then we wonder why our children are having all kinds of health issues. Because there's no joy in the home. Just let me say in closing, as a father... It's my responsibility to bring my children to the Lord. I've had, and I, I don't in no way want to sound critical, but I've had so many 
father say, Pastor, would you come to our home and witness to our children? Well, that's your responsibility. I don't mind sharing the gospel with them, but how about you picking up your Bible and sitting down with them and telling them about the Lord? I mean, every parent ought to be a soul winner. Reach your children with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't wait till they're 18, 19 years old. Our son Matthew was saved at five years of age, and you can't shake him from it. I said, well, son, are you sure you understood that? I understood. And I know I got saved at five years old. <laughs> I remember after he trusted the Lord and he was baptized, he put on a suit like his daddy, and he'd get him a handful of tracks, and he said, Dad, I want to go to the store with you. And he'd walk around handing people gospel tracks. <laughs> Our daughter Pamela, she was saved at a very young age. At eight, nine years old, she'd have vacation Bible school in our garage. I remember when we lived in the state of Washington, she was probably more like 11 or 12. She'd gather all the neighborhood kids and get cookies and Kool-Aid, and she, she was having vacation Bible school. She was the preacher and the teacher. There's no greater joy to win our children and then to see our children love the Lord, and walk in truth. He said, well, preacher, where would I begin? Well, share the testimony that you, you do have a testimony, don't you? You know how you got saved? Tell them how you got saved. Take time to memorize the Word of God. Take time to memorize Romans 3.10 and explain to them, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Explain to them what sin is. Get into your Bible and take them over to 1 John chapter 4 and show them that ten sin is the transgression of God's law. Help them understand that the wages of sin is death and what death is according to Romans 6.23. Death is being separated from God in a place of everlasting punishment. Those are the wages of your sin, child. When you tell that first lie, that proves that you are a sinner. It doesn't make you a sinner. Explain to them, Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, that God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Explain to them where sin originated. It originated in the garden through a man by the name of Adam. He's our father, and at one time the whole world was in Adam. We are of Adam's seed. We are Adam's children. We are born with the same nature that Adam had. That's why when you were a child... Daddy had to spank you when you did wrong. I didn't teach you to lie. I didn't teach you to steal. But you did it anyway because we all have that same old nature. The Bible says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men. Don't you understand that, child? You see, it's our responsibility how important it is that we bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what God is talking about. Be that soul winner. Be that godly father. Let's stand with our heads bowed.